Shall we have a word of prayer, sisters? Lord Jesus, we're here all in your presence. Thank you again for your most prevailing blood, ever efficacious and ever powerful for our washing, for our cleansing, for our forgiveness, that we may have fellowship with you without any kind of insulation. Lord, we thank you this morning for giving us this opportunity. We would all like to be like Mary of Bethany, to choose the better part, to sit at your feet, to hear not only what you have to say, but also to know what is in your heart. Lord, we pray that this morning you will anoint us with your Holy Spirit, anoint our hearts, anoint our spirit, anoint our lips, anoint our ears, indeed, and anoint our entire being that we would be sanctified unto you from everything common. Lord, deliver us from our common understanding of things, our natural concepts, our traditions, our human ways and outlooks and philosophies and thoughts. Lord, usher us into yourself, into this divine and mystical realm. Usher us into your heart, your mind, and your feeling, even into your inward parts. Lord, we may not understand all that is spoken this morning, but like another Mary, we like to hide your words in our heart, that in due course we may have insight. We may have wisdom. Lord Jesus, we consecrate this two meetings to you, not only to meet our need, but that it will meet your need. Lord Jesus, cleanse us with your blood and keep the enemy away from these times. We pray all of this in your dear and precious name. Amen. Well, uh, good morning to all of you, sisters, and uh, harken back to six months ago, uh, when I I think it was six months ago, uh, back in North Texas there, to have a quite a wonderful conference with the sisters gathered. And uh, if I remember, we gave you two outlines, but we, over the course of two meetings, we were only able to cover one. And that would be the message on um, a holy marriage uh, for God's purpose, if I remember correctly. A holy marriage for God's purpose. I hope you still remember that. Well, there was a second outline that I gave out, which is the outline that many of you may have now. That is a godly family for the church life. This would be a, shall we say, these two messages are sister messages. We talk about marriage, and we also now talk about the family. As far as the marriage, 
is a marriage or marriages are concerned for us Christians, for uh, us who are God's people, the church. Our marriages should be holy. <clears throat> um, and a, that means it is something separated from the common marriages. It is also something sanctified. That means it should be something um, that has God's nature in it, God's uh, holy nature. It would be something, again, uncommon, unlike the world. And we should, um, when we look at all these so-called human institutions, sisters, the first thing is we cannot look at these things from a mere human, traditional, institutional point of view. Now, I'm not saying that <clears throat> that is wrong. I mean, marriage is, is certainly something that clearly something God has instituted. I don't want to use the word instituted, but God has ordained for humankind uh, to procreate, to um, reproduce uh, itself generation after generation. And uh, he made man and women, male and female, uh, right in the beginning. He didn't just make uh, a male, but a female. And it is not good for the male to be alone. And he needs a counterpart, <clears throat> a helpmeet, uh, a partner to join with him um, so that they can what? They can live and serve God together. They can, and by way of having children, they would also reproduce God's highest creation, and that is the creation of a particular species, man. And man, as you know, is actually according to God's kind made in his image and <clears throat> with his likeness for the purpose that this man corporately would be God's expression. And he would also represent God to defeat and deal with God's enemy. And this way they will populate the earth and fill the earth with God's image and God's God's expression and God's authority. This way, God will have his kingdom uh, on this earth and this and defeat his enemy. This is God's purpose in making man. And so from the outset, God uh, made man this way and ordained man must should be married. So this is not just some human tradition that we get married. I know today marriage is a very contested issue, you know. <clears throat> and But marriage, from God's point of view, is has this as the source. But my point is not to go back to that marriage. My point, sisters, is to uplift your view concerning even this most important human relationship or human matter. So uh, uh, 
Likewise, uh, today we're going to get into the other important uh, unit, if you will, in human society, and that would be the family. Likewise, we should not look at this again just merely from a common, natural, merely human viewpoint. Again, it is not to say those things are wrong. After all, we are human beings and we live in the human society, and we raise families, we have children, and so on. And this is according to God's. Plan and ordination, but I'm saying the view that we adopt. What kind of view should we have towards such a family? How should we raise up our family? Why do we have children? Uh, how is our family related to God's purpose? How is it related to, to the Christian faith? How is it related to the church? How is it related to God's divine economy? These are the things that most folks they don't think about. They uh, raise, they get married, they raise family for happiness, for satisfaction, uh, to have a lot of uh, descendants, and and they consider that a blessing. Well, it is a blessing. It is a blessing from God. You know, it says in Psalm 127 that the children uh, are the inheritance of Jehovah, or the heritage of Jehovah. That means they are given as an inheritance from God. Um, and it says what it says: uh, um, uh, it is the fruit, the fruit of the womb is a is a reward. It's it's a blessing. There's no doubt about that. But are we just thinking about the blessing we get to have children? You know, they're so cute, so beautiful, so smart, so wonderful. It makes us proud, makes us happy. Is is that all there is? Well, this morning uh, we're coming to touch this matter. Just what does kind of family God wants, according to His? desire according to his purpose, according to his will, and according to his economy. That's what we need to know. Well, uh, I would like to firstly say that um, um, in these kind of uh, fellowship, I actually this morning don't want to even consider this a kind of a message, even though it says it's a message. I rather would like to be here to be, have some kind of free fellowship and intimate talks with you sisters. Um, so we can all relax a little bit. We're all in our homes. Um, I'd like to talk to you about this very, very important matter. And just like our marriages, our family uh, uh, should be sanctified, should be holy, should be unto God. In fact, the topic is a godly family. Godly. That means it is something that has to everything to do with God. Godly. 
versus ungodly. Um, today, ungodliness is advancing more than ever before. Where is godliness? Godlikeness? Where is the expression of God? Where is the nature of God? Where is the life of God seen? Where are the virtues and the attributes of God, the virtues of God? In the family, in a family, where do we find that? Well, the topic, a family life, uh, a, a godly family for the church life. So um, I like to say whether I'll follow this outline today uh, fully, I don't think that it's that important. The important thing is that the burden is discharged or released into you. Now, there are many sisters uh, there listening today. Uh, I have a particular burden for the for all of you, of course, but particularly for the um, middle age and younger generation, those who have uh, younger children, and even uh, sisters who are not yet married or married sisters who have don't have children yet, I'm burdened for you. <clears throat> I'm burdened for you to have a proper view and a proper concept concerning the idea of a family in the eyes of God and according, actually, to God's intention. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's uh, some ministries, Christian ministries out there, one being the most famous, uh, based in Colorado, called Focus on Family, right? Focus on Family. Now, I have two things to say. Uh, number one, we are not here to focus on family, if you understand what I'm saying. We will always be focused on God and his economy. This is our focus, and this is the Bible's focus, and this is a focus of the word of God. And so we will not replace that with focusing on the family. So that's one thing I hope we're clear. Everything should emanate from God's economy, <clears throat> God's uh, intention with man. That is to work himself into man, to make man like him, even the same as him, and to be built up together for his what? For his full corporate expression. And uh, we will not uh, leave that. We will not lose focus. But that said, that said, I somewhat like this term, focus on the family. And that is because the enemy over time in human history, and particularly nowadays more and more, is to attack, indeed, with the intention to destroy Families, human families. Uh, I, um, I'm not a student of history per se, but I tell you today, the number of firstly broken marriages 
in society. It's not even just the domain of the United States or the West. Even the East, even I came from the East, even in the East with these more conservative cultures, broken marriages, divorces, uh, separation, um, and then families, even the more broken families, um, families with no parents or one parent. And uh, um, and uh, <clears throat> I heard that uh, in, uh, in some little survey the brothers did with incoming freshmen to colleges to list all the problems of their generation, all the the, the sources or the factors of the problems that they uh, that um, uh, characterize today's young generation. Uh, it is not drugs. It is not uh, 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 mental disorders. It is not. Those things are there, but they are later. The first thing, the first thing they write is broken families. And it's almost like the, a broken family what becomes a kind of a incubator of all these many problems. And I think sociologists will tell you that that is the case. The nuclear family is being destroyed. And without a proper family, you cannot have proper people, proper children, and uh, all manners of emotional, psychological problems, all manner of disorders, all manner of ills and all manner of uh, 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 bad things, very bad things, evil things will take place. And so this family, the family, uh, as God has intended, is under attack. This morning I got up, the verse came to me that says the Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And don't think he's just devouring some adults. He's wanting to devour children. He wants to devour a family at a time by undermining and destroying them. And so here we are uh, in the Lord's recovery. We're here saved. We're here loving the Lord. We're here following the Lord. We've seen something of God's purpose and economy. In fact, we've seen more than that. We have seen something so high. We call it the high peak of the divine revelation, something so noble, so holy, so great, something so much of God. But sisters, when I look at those things that we have received, I say, thank you, Lord. What have you given to us? These riches, these truths. Very few people have seen what we have seen or know what we know. But on the other hand, I look at our own situation. Sorry, this morning I have to be a little bit honest with you. Our own situation in the recovery in the churches, according to some statistics in certain regions of the, of the U.S., I mean, in the recovery. <clears throat> and this uh, survey is done over many years, uh, maybe even decades, that nowadays, and it has been for some time, that um, we lose, we lose one out of two of our own children. This is the; these are the saints' children. These are 
what we call those who are born in Zion, born in the church life. We lose one out of every two sisters, 50% from the age of the, you know, seventh grade, you know, when, when they start going to junior high, one of our young people, all the way through the college years, entirely 10 years, three years junior high, three years senior high, four years of college. In those 10 years, we lost 50% of our own children. I don't know how many actually recanted the faith, gave up the faith even in the Lord. I don't know. There are some. But many would not take the way of their parents. <clears throat> to They would not stay uh, to go on in the Lord's recovery, to follow the Lord as the parents did. They're gone. You know, sisters, you don't know how much this breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. I cry over this. I weep over this. Even this morning, when I was laying in bed praying, my heart just ached for this. And I don't know even their faces. I don't know their names. Some, a few, but many. This one, that one, I hear. Do you know what happened? Do you know what happened? They're no longer here with us. Even some who have been through the full-time training. My heart just breaks, brothers and sisters. I'm not here pointing fingers. I'm not here, you know, condemning or blaming. I'm just saying the grief and the sadness that is within me. Sometimes it is like unbearable. No, I'm not the parent. I'm, I'm not. They're not my children. But in another way, I like to tell you my feeling as an older brother, as a serving brother amongst you in the recovery. I consider all of them our children, if not mine. They're ours. And to lose even one is one too many. I don't know how you feel if you are not familiar with the statistics I told you. And and I found out that this is not per, more pervasive than I thought. It's not limited to just one region. You know, by the way, sisters, if you are a so-called church kid, and I don't like that term, but I just borrow it, <clears throat> one born of parents in the Lord and in the recovery, and you are here still loving the Lord and still pursuing the Lord, I tell you, you are blessed. I want to tell you, God really loves you. God really, you, you have, you know, it says Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah. That is the first time the word grace is mentioned in the whole Bible. Noah found grace. And this would remind you and I, I think, right away of the, the, that verse in Hebrews chapter 4, right? That we can come forward to the throne of grace, to find grace and obtain mercy for the time of need. I tell you, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Found grace. 
Grace means what grace means. I am not. I cannot do it. It's too much to bear. I have no way. Grace is God coming to do something for us and to do something in us. A person who finds grace is just a person who says, I have no way. I have nothing. I cannot. So he comes to Jehovah and rely on Jehovah, the faithful one, and say, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Every minute, every moment, every in every case, in every situation, in every matter, Lord, in my marriage, Lord, in my having children, in my raising my children, in my having a family, Lord, I cannot do it. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. This is the t- statistics. This is These are the odds stacked against us, especially in this most corrupt and evil and immoral and secularized age, anti-God age that we're in. In, in the world, in, in, in the West, in, in, our current, in our present civilization, everything is against God. Everything is against us. Everything is against the faith. Everything is against our family being held together to be godly, to love God, to serve God, to live for God, even to live God. Everything is against that. And, and and that was Noah's days. You know, no wonder when the Lord talked about, <clears throat> prophesied about the end times, as in the days of Noah. The days of Noah, people are given to eating and drinking, marrying and be, uh, being married. And before they knew it, the flood came. The deluge swept them all away under God's judgment. Just like what happened with Noah. That rain, that deluge, was God's judgment on this incurably corrupted age. You know, that is the age filled with violence, anarchy, uh, ungodliness, of course, and corruption, evil, lawlessness. The end of this age will be like that, sisters, and it's coming. It's happening in front of our eyes more and more with more frequency and intensity. Dear sisters, this is what we're faced with. If we are not yet at the days of Noah, we're getting very, very close. The spirit of lawlessness is running amok. And sisters, we're here, saved, God's people, Christians, in the churches, in the recovery. What should we do? What should we do with our family? You know, God's work among men in a very... um, um, uh, special way uh, is generational think just just remember this god's work is generational god's work um 
On the one hand, he called whom he will, he select whom he will, he choose whom he will. He pluck out people whom he will. That That's God's doing. You know, that's God's sovereignty. But that's only one way to look at things. The other way to look at things is God's work is actually generational. Something is passed on from generation to generation. So I, I, I know now I'm not going to follow this outline, but I will pick up things from this outline. By the way, please, after this weekend, sisters come together in small groups and digest these outlines. Get into the word with the help of my speaking. Study these things. Pray over these things. I'm going to talk about a lot about prayer in the next message, maybe even some this message or this talk. The case is mentioned here about in Roman 2 in this outline about Noah. I'm not going to get into all the details. Noah. Noah eventually, firstly, his whole household, eight of them were saved. That is a picture of God's principle of household salvation. God doesn't not, in this sense, God does not just save individuals. God saves a household. God saves families. We should have this in our mind, in our brain. God, just God saving you is not enough. God must save your family. And many of us, even here this morning, are part of some families that were saved. I'm sitting here because of, not only of my parents who gave me my biological life, I'm sitting here because of my grandmother, who in a sense, indirectly transmit into me the faith of God And her prayers is why I'm still sitting here talking to you. A godly family should be generational. Now, I would like to ask, you know, the younger generation, the mothers or mothers-to-be, what about you? What about your family? What are you thinking? Would this just stop with you? Would this go on to your children? This faith? This godliness? How about your children's children? Now you say, well, that is not up to me. That is up to God. Uh, um, it's him who, he is the one who select according to his sovereignty. You can even quote me, Romans 9 and so on. He will have mercy on him. He will mercy. He loves um, uh, Jacob and hates Esau. What can I do? Sisters, that's only one way to look at this thing. There's another way to look at these things. And that is God works in a generational way. Even Noah didn't get plucked out by God out of a piece of rock. He, He didn't just spring up out of nowhere, he had he is of a generation that started with Adam and Abel and and uh, uh, Enosh and 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 uh, Enoch and 
Methuselah and 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 so on, all the way to him. You know, he is probably the eighth or nine or tenth generation from Adam. Those people live a long time in those days. He lived fifteen hundred or more years uh, from Adam to 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 Noah. But if you study this. Uh, um, this outline, and you go back to the life studies of the ministry, you will find out that Noah actually inherited, inherited the spiritual blessings from his forefathers that go all the way up back up to Adam so that he could maintain and extend a certain way of God salvation, a certain line of God's salvation. I call it the line of godliness, but this godliness is based on what? Based on two things, and that is God's plan of redemption and God's way of life. Redemption and life equals salvation. This way of salvation of God that God has planned for man is God's way of keeping man, of preserving man for himself and for his purpose. And Noah was an inheritor of that. And uh, you you have to believe the, the what Adam learned, what Adam experienced, of course in type as a foreshadow of God's salvation. Even though they fell, he and Eve, God came in to save. They wore skins, animal skins. That is a type of the Lord's death, right, Um, for redemption, and so on and so forth. Uh, Abel, how did Abel know how to offer offerings for uh, uh, Jehovah's pleasure? Um, 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 he learned. He must have learned something. Learn. Learn something um, 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 from the father, from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve pass on to them their story, their history, their learning, their experience from God, their revelation, God's way of salvation, and that that was passed on. How would Enosh know to call on the name of the Lord, the first man who called on the name of, of, of God? How would he know that if no one told him, if the parents didn't tell him? Eventually, how, would, how about Enoch? Enoch walked with God, and he was not. He was raptured. Do you think uh, we didn't see in the Bible how he learned that? But you have to believe it has to be something that came from the source of his ancestors, his previous generation, that passed on to him something of God. He grew up learning and knowing something of God. And so he developed that further, and then he lived in a certain way. Noah the same. Noah the same. He didn't just... Just, just suddenly have have some 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 dream. He was nurtured. He was raised up. He was educated. He was taught God and God's ways. So, so he 
is he inherited uh, God's way of redemption and life amidst, listen, in the midst of a corrupted earth. I mean, if you and I live in those days, I think the likelihood of us being swept away by the tide of that earth is very, very great. Just like today. But how are, how is this one Noah kept? Well, how is this one Enoch kept? How is this one Enosh kept? How were they kept to maintain, to stay in this line of God? To still preach righteousness. To live unto God, you may say, to be godly. And in the case of Noah, he did even something more than the others. He built an ark over hundreds of years. An ark that would signify Christ. Christ that we enter into and can pass through the judgment to save from, be saved from uh, uh, perdition. And ushering in us into what? Into Mount Ararat in resurrection as a type of resurrection. To enter into a new age. To be a new creation. For God's economy. For God's move. For God's plan with man. You see, he did this. He did this because... He was in a line, in a line of godliness, in a line of godly families. And in the second talk, I'm going to talk about um, uh, Hannah and Samuel. Now, talk about passing on, talk about inheriting. Look, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Hannah's prayer is not just a prayer. Listen, Hannah's prayer actually is a vow. A vow. She made a vow to Jehovah. If you give me a man-child, I'm going to give him back to you for the rest of his life. No razor will go on his head. She's going to be a Nazarite through and through. Listen. Samuel even didn't have a chance. Before conception, you know, you know, Paul says, uh, I was separated from my mother's womb uh, to have Christ revealed in me. This, this man, even before he was in the womb, was already destined by his mother of all people. Of course, this is all arranged by God and and motivated by God and allowed by God, of course. That is the side of God's sovereignty. But do you see my point? It's almost the mother dictated what this son will be, according to God. According to God. Sisters, mothers, do you have that thought? Do you have that thought? Rather than this idea, well, it's up to the Lord. I don't know. This is a free country at you know, at a certain age, they grow up and be what they want to be. If they uh, 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 love the Lord, they would. If they don't, that's their problem. Uh, or, or Sisters, no, no, no. That, that is entirely wrong. Entirely wrong. Actually, I blame this country is too free, you know, even to give children's right, you know, 
in, in, our, in our realm, they can choose to be godly or not godly. No. My children must be godly. My family must be godly. I'm going to fight for it. Yes, I cannot dictate how my children will turn out. Even Brother Lee told us it is all God's mercy. You know, in, in again, now back to Romans 9, really, it is not him who will run or whom who will, but God who shows mercy. I know that verse. I know how to quote that verse, too. But everything has two sides. And that is what? That is, yes, we commit our children to God's mercy. But you have to do your best, your very best, that they would be saved. They would love the Lord. They would know the word. They would follow the Lord and even serve the Lord. Have we done that? If we've done that, we have no, almost we have no position to say it's up to God. It's up to the Lord. No, no, sisters. No. You need to take care of both sides. Once you have done what you should do, then you say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, it's not even what I have done. It's you who show mercy. I have done what I could. But have we? But whether we will or not depends whether we have a view, the view of a godly family for the church life in a generational way. Sisters, I am just... Now, some of us who are older here, our children are grown people. Then you say, well, it's too late. I, I, I lost them. Well, I like to say a word to older sisters. No, it's not too late. There's one thing you can do. You can pray. You never give up. Now, we made mistakes. We were not as faithful as we should in the way we raise up our children. That has happened. May the Lord forgive us and help us. But we can pray. We can pray. I don't want to put the blame on 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 parents and uh, brothers and, and and sisters that some of our own are lost because solely because of you. I, who am I to say this? So this morning I'm not pointing fingers and so on, but I have, am observer of culture. I'm an observer of society. I'm an observer of our own situation. There is a missing element, sisters. There is some human lack that contributed to this. There is. I, I, I must say that. Just like for us, even you and I, to grow in the Lord, to follow the Lord, and so on, there is an amount of human responsibility. God's principle of working with man and in man is nation. That means he will not do it alone. Neither can you do it alone. God and man must work together. God needs man and man, of course, needs God. You can apply this to almost everything in the spiritual realm. Everything in the realm, in the divine realm. It is not all God. It is not all me. 
we have to render God the, the best cooperation. We have to coordinate with God. You know, it is what Brother Lee called a three-leg race. You know, two persons with one leg, uh, uh, each of one of their legs bound together. And that's how we are with God. So in the matter of raising up a, a godly family, in the matter of raising up children for the Lord, it is not just God. God, it's up to you. And it's neither let me do it. It's neither. It's both. And this is why, this is why, sisters, we need to be one with the Lord. We need to be joined with him. And may I say that we're not even here just to have some lovely children or even spiritual children to add to our pride and and, and joy. Although, you know, the children are our crown. If it says even grandchildren is the crown of a grandparent or grandfather. But firstly, firstly, sisters, why do God give us children? Just for us? It is for us. It is for us. For our joy, for our happiness, it is. But is it just that? Or is it for him? Our children just for us or for him? Just for our satisfaction or for his satisfaction? Just to meet your need or to meet his need? Then this is why we need to be godly. If we... It is not for God's need. Well, let's just do something for our own enjoyment. Do whatever we want. These are my children. I have right over them. I decide what, what, what. But if you have the view, these are not my children. These are gift from Jehovah. They are an inheritance from Jehovah. They are given to me as to put under my stewardship for God's use, for God's need. God needs more young men and more young women. God needs more Nazarites. God needs more Daniels and Samuels and Moseses. God needs, God has a line to maintain. God has a will to fulfill. God has an economy to work out. And he needs men for that. And I see this. I realize this. So when the Lord bless me with children, even when I ask the Lord, and the Lord give me children. The idea is not just this is for my joy and crown, but for something to meet God's need. Give you another example, easy example that you I think you all know, and that is Timothy. You know Timothy in the New Testament. Um, famously in 2 Timothy, right? Chapter 1. Um, you say, Timothy, I pray for you, right? <clears throat> Day and night. He said, he said this. I'm reminded, you know, Paul, when he was praying for Timothy. <clears throat> By the way, Timothy... In, in 2 Timothy, which is the 
second epistle from Paul to Timothy, which is a lot more intimate than first Timothy, you know, second epistle. This is the time close to Paul's martyrdom. And he said, I'm very reminded of what? Of the unfeigned, that means the genuine, um, the unhypocritical, the sincere, right? Faith in you. Of course, this is talking about the subjective faith towards God, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded dwells also in you. Do you see the generational line, work of God? Grandmother, mother, and son. If you go to Acts 16, you will find uh, um, Timothy was found by uh, or recommended to Paul there. It mentioned the mother was Jewish, but the father was Greek. This is Timothy. And then you read, go on in Timothy to chapter 3, that as a babe, as a babe, you've known the Holy Scripture, which is all God-breathed, right? For instruction, for, for reproof, for teaching, and so on and so forth, that a man of God can be equipped, prepared for every good work. He's talking to Timothy about Timothy. So Paul actually is very close to Timothy's family, knows the mother well, and even the grandmother, Paul. And I don't know about Timothy's father, the Greek, whether he has the faith or not, I have no idea. But I know the mother has the indwelling faith, not just faith, but the indwelling faith, and also the scriptures. The scriptures. So as a babe, the mother units taught this little Timothy the scriptures. Which made him wise, Timothy wise, unto what? Salvation. One day when he grows up, he became saved. Because the scriptures were in him. Now, whatever happened to his father... Do you know what? Paul became Timothy's father. Spiritual father. He's, he says, you know, you know, just, just in, in several instances, Timothy, beloved child in chapter one, in chapter two, you therefore, my child, my child. He's his spiritual father. And who knows, more than even just spiritual, but even humanly, possibly. It is generational, sisters. It is generational. You have the mother, and the mother is especially more important. Look at Moses. Look at the case of Moses. You know the story. The mother of Moses. Without this mother, Moses would not be 
what he was. Even though after so much Egyptian education in Pharaoh's palace under Pharaoh's daughter, he still was for his nation, his people. That's why he struck, you know, the Egyptian dead to protect his brothers. Where did he get that? Where did he get that? For sure from the family. I believe mainly from the mother. So this faith, this indwelling faith was, quote, quote, transmitted or passed on from one generation to another. You know, to even today, the proper kind of Jews are like this. They say that we are just a special people. We're God's elect. And they would do everything to keep their children in this, in their faith. Of course, even they are not all successful. But I'm saying this. I'm saying this. Brothers and sisters, we are the New Testament elect of God, aren't we? We are the people of God in the New Covenant. And it is right for us to have the view that our whole family needs to be godly. Not just me, but our whole family. Not only a single generation household salvation, but what? Generationally, your household would be godly from generation to generation. I am not saying we are playing God. I am not saying we can guarantee that. That's why we need to find grace. But I'm saying that we should have this view. We should have this outlook. We should have this burden within us. And this burden will motivate and move us, brothers and sisters, to pray. To pray. And also to what? To raise up our children. To infuse them in a particular way with the element of God. I'm not here talking about how to. I'm not talking here about giving them premature knowledge. That's for another place, another time. I'm here just talking about burden, sisters. From a babe. I like that word. In the Lord's recovery, actually, the, you know, this is Brother Lee, the most important unit is the church, no doubt. The church is everything to Christ. Um, the song, the hymn we just sung, the church, his body, his bride, his dwelling place, the church is everything. That's why we're here in the recovery. We gave everything to Christ and the church. This is the treasure of his heart. But next to the church, now listen to this, next to the church, the family is the most important unit in society. Without a proper family life, there would be no way to have a healthy society or country, a nation, um, is constituted of families as the basic factor. So this is spoken concerning society as a whole. 
society as a whole. <clears throat> but I'm here talking about what? The, uh, the church life specifically for us in the Lord's recovery. So he says this, we fully realize that without a properly proper family life, it is difficult to have an orderly church life. We also realize that without a proper church life, it is difficult to have a normal and proper family life. We are here for the church and also for the family. Dear brothers and sisters, it is a very, very great thing and significant thing that we live our family, we raise up our family, we build up our families in the context of the church life. Not only individually we need the church life, the Christian life is best lived in the church life. In fact, the Christian life has no meaning without the church life the present-day kingdom of God. But now we need to go further. Not only me as an individual, individual Christian, but my marriage, number one. And then, as an extension, my family. Must be, must be in the church life. But the opposite is also true. For a church life to be normal, to be strong, to be solid, there needs, there's the need for families, not just individual Christians, individual saints. Of course, it is composed of the saints. But in a very practical way, a strong and proper and solid church life requires Strong and solid families, vital families, spiritual family, godly families, godly families. Today, we could, in part, ascribe the weakness of cer- certain churches, the weakness in the church life, for the lack of what? Solid, strong, godly families. I think I can say that. I can say that. So you go to a church and the families are all broken or wrong or not godly or I tell you, that church cannot go on. You you believe me. But if you go to a church where you have a number of proper families. And I don't mean just, oh, wonderful, sweet, lovely families. I mean godly families, families for God, families with God, family that expresses God. I tell you, that church will be built up. That church will be solid. I'm very, very burdened for this matter, of godly families and godly generations. 
So there is uh, a lot in this whole subject of how to raise up such a family, how to, you know, <clears throat> cultivate such families. And that is actually too big of a subject, too big of a subject. Parenting, for example, too big of a subject. So I don't have that time. I will only use examples. Okay, of course, I mentioned already some of the examples um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, you really need to study Genesis that talks about how Adam and Eve, even Adam and Eve, how they pass on the word of salvation to the following generations, not just only one, not just the next one, but the ones after that. Um, I mentioned Moses in this case, um, and even the whole children of Israel. You know, we, we just finished Deuteronomy, right, in the you know, uh, 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 trainings. And Deuteronomy is a re-speaking, a re-speaking by, uh, by Moses, uh, uh, the man of God who was about to um, die. And it is a repeated speaking of his burden. And and listen, uh, more than once, Jehovah, um, uh, he said this, you know, on behalf of Jehovah, and you shall love your Jehovah with all your heart and your soul and your might. And uh, uh, these words that I'm commanding you, old Moses saying to the children of Israel, uh, shall be upon your heart. And listen to this, and you shall repeat them to your children and speak about them when you sit in your house and when you journey on the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, bind them on the hand as a sign, as frontlets between your eyes, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you see this? Do you see the the picture here? That means it's not only you, Israel, your children and your children's children remind them of our experience, what we have seen of God, what we have passed through, how we're saved, how we are supplied, how the Lord protected us, all the things that the Lord did for us. Don't let them forget. And especially the word, the commandments that the Lord has given, Jehovah has given to us. We're going to pass it on to you. Repeatedly, you know, here it says, you know, uh, repeat them, you know, whether you're in your house or you're going on a a, 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 a trip to the lake, all, all kinds of situations take the opportunity to what? To speak to them. Put something in your hand, something in your frontlet, you know, of course, that's through the Jews. But the point is, pass it on. Speak to them, repeat to them. Don't let it stop with you. You have children, you have grandchildren, and even further than that. That was that was how Moses taught the children of Israel. Even the second generation didn't pass through as much as the first, but they received the benefit of what they have experienced. And so older brothers and sisters and parents, you know what our job is. Our job is to pass on 
what we have learned from the Lord, what we have received from the Lord. Of course, many, many human things. We need to teach our children to be proper uh, persons and proper uh, uh, citizens and and all of this. Uh, I think that goes without saying. But my burden is godliness. This line of God, this line of God's redemption and life, this line of God's salvation. Uh, another story, and that would be Andrew Murray. Have you heard of Andrew Murray? A most spiritual man. He's uh, Scottish by ancestry, uh, whose father actually migrated to South Africa in the uh, two centuries ago. And uh, a, a, a preacher, and he himself became a servant of the Lord, and wrote some of the most spiritual books, The Spirit of Christ, which we receive so much help from, um, um, Brother Nee and Brother Lee. Um, the Holy of Holies, I think. <clears throat> but one thing that uh, not many people know is how burdened Andrew Murray was for children and especially his own children, one's own children, i.e. family. There's a book that he put out. It's under different titles, and you can Google and find it, and something like how to raise up godly children or how to raise up children for Christ. I think you can quite easily find that. It has uh, 52 chapters, one a week. Um. My, um, <clears throat> whether you agree with everything he said or not, I tell you, his burden for the children. Of course, he was burdened for the gospel, to preach the gospel. But he had a particular burden on how to raise up his own children. We can go save people, but we lose our own. There's something wrong in with that picture. It is said that um, 100 years after uh, his father or he, uh, or maybe his father, I don't remember, there's sort of something like a, some kind of centennial thing with the family, right? By that time, there were hundreds of their descendants, and they have a kind of a reunion in in uh, in South Africa. <clears throat> and amongst them, I have to believe most, if not all of them, were saved. But amongst them, there were like 50 missionaries, 50 uh, ministers of the Lord. You may say, well... I tell you, this is a big thing. You may say, well, he's not in the church life or whatever. Well, at that time, there was not the church life like you and I know it. But he was a man of God. He was a servant. Even he had in part of the ministry of that age that he lived. 
and he begot himself like eight children or something like that. Don't remember. But their descendants. And the way he and his wife raised up the children and then the grandchildren to result in so many who love the Lord and serve the Lord. It's deeply inspiring to me. Is it all because of Andrew Murray? No, I'll tell you, it's God's mercy. It's God's grace. He found grace in the eyes of Jehovah. But listen, he also found grace himself by going before the throne of grace for the time of need. So many, he is just one example, so many men of God, they would not have become such men if they did not have godly parents who pray for them. Hudson Taylor and others, George Mueller, fathers or mothers who prayed desperately for their children children. Some of them went wayward. They got of course, and then they were constrained and brought back by the Lord in God's mercy and timing. And they become useful vessels in God's hands because of the parental care, because of the fostering of the parents. Humanly, for sure, but especially godly and spiritually. Now here, most to the end, I read something here of what Brother Nee said. By the way, Brother Nee married, but Brother Nee never had children. Watchman Nee, he never had children. But his heart and his view. From the beginning of the Lord's recovery in China, Brother Ni pointed out that the church needs to be built up with the household as a unit. Quote, I would like to say emphatically that the family life of our next generation has much to do with the church life of our next generation. These two things, family life, church life are interwoven. Do not see these things as two. One is for the other. The church life of the next generation will be strong only if you take care of this matter well. This comes from a person who was childless. If our next generation has terrible families, the church will suffer many drawbacks. In the coming days, May God bestow his grace. I ask God, I'll tell you, I ask God. I pray for the sisters, because I'm speaking to the sisters, for grace for you, the mothers, the mothers-to-be, the grandmothers. Bestow his grace to the church so that many young families will be raised up in which both the husband and the wife serve the Lord and walk in his way together in one accord. How beautiful such a picture will be. Watchman, he dreamed or dreamt 
was burdened to see beyond his days, beyond his generation and time, that in the coming days, aren't, aren't we now the coming days of Watchman Nee? God would give grace to so many young families, young families, young sisters, young families, be raised up where husband and wife both serve and walk in God's way, this line, God's way of salvation, of redemption and life and building. Let me add that one more thing. Redemption, life, and building, that is God's economy. How beautiful a picture that will be. It's possible, sisters. By the way, against even the tide, all the evil tide of this age, don't say it is impossible. It's work. It's a battle. It's a long-term exercise from the moment you conceive, from the moment they've given birth, when they're growing up, I tell you, every day is a battle, if you have this kind of a view, to save and to preserve, to maintain our children, our family, for the Lord and his purpose. A good church life, quote, is maintained through good families. The husbands have to be good, and the wives also have to be good. Then the church life will be free of problems. These are very practical words. So in order to have godly families, we need holy marriages. Sisters, of course, this is to brothers also. We have to be very careful on the matter of marriage, who we marry, how we're married, and even more, <clears throat> how to remain and stay married for the Lord. So many lessons to be learned, so many dealings that we need to have. I say again, these are the two quote-quote institutions that are under direct assault more and more by God's enemy. Because if he can destroy this, he will destroy human society, which he's doing. And if he can destroy this in the re- recovery, in the, he will destroy the church life, undermine the church life. Well, dear sisters, I think that is uh, plenty. I hope to the Lord that you have received something. And as I prayed in the beginning of the my word, even if you did not get everything or see everything or understand or even uh, agree with everything, I just ask you to keep this word in your heart. And as we will see in the next uh, talk, sisters, start with prayer. Start with prayer. That is one thing we can do. And what is prayer? Prayer in Hebrews 
is to come forward to the throne of grace. The throne of grace actually is what? Is the propitiatory cover of the Ark of the Testimony in the holiest of all, in type. So don't make any resolution. I'm not saying there's anything wrong in making resolution. It says, Deborah says, you know, we should have great resolutions of heart. Great resolution of heart. I mean, sisters, this is, our families are for God's family, the church. And the church is everything to Christ. And therefore, our families and how it is, how they are has immediate consequence and impact on how the church life will be. And therefore, how the Lord's move will be on this earth and how he can work out his plan today in this age. Our marriage, our family has everything to do with this. There is a direct correlation and relationship. So besides maintaining our own life, our own walk with the Lord personally, of course, it has to start there. To live godly in his presence and before men. We need to pray and work on a holy marriage for God's purpose. And we need to pray and labor on a proper godly family for the building up of his body, for the church life today. I hope, dear sisters, you will see this vision. Then we will not only be here merely humanly focusing on the family, but we'll be here really living for God's kingdom in a very practical way. Don't think you are here at home cooking and changing diapers and and uh, uh, disciplining your children, this and that, are for naught. It depends on your view. Depends on your view. Almost all of us are sitting here this morning because someone, some older ones, in your family and maybe spiritually become your who were your spiritual parents, pray for you, for me, and fostered us, took care of us, was patient with us. Even when we wander, when we go away, they will still pray. They are still burdened. And they did what they could to transmit a godly tradition, some godly practices, godly concepts, especially the word of God, into us. This so that we will now, we have this indwelling faith. That's true. And how about your children? How about the next generations? I ask the Lord. I ask the Lord. 
Lord, we're losing one out of two of our own. Can we reduce that percentage? I'll be too idealistic to say, Lord, we want to keep all of our own. I surely want to. I think to lose even one is too much. But that may be idealistic in this day and age. But Lord, can we reduce a few points? And that will be hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. But that's my prayer. That's my hope. But now I'm burdened to speak to the ones who are actually laboring in this field, the parents. I'm now a grandparent, so I still have my share, my job to do, and my prayer to pray for my descendants. But I'm more burdened for those your children now, you just have newborn, you have toddlers, you have uh, preschool, you have kindergarten, whatever, you have uh, grade school children, you have junior high, you have high school. Uh, I hope, I'm struggling with words here, as you can tell. Um, the Lord would, we would find grace in the Lord's eyes and the Lord's recovery as a whole, not just in Dallas area, Texas, not even just USA. The whole of the Lord's recovery would have a what? Mercy in this matter. Mercy in this matter. And that would be a real change in the general situation. But that can only happen if the parents, the grandparents will rise up. There's a lot of work to do, I know. And there are a lot of brothers and sisters burdened for this. I'm not the only one. I don't claim to be that way. I'm just taking this opportunity to share this uh, burden with you. Amen. I'll stop here.